Well, good morning, Gateway family. It's good to see you on this about-to-be-rainy morning. Glad you were here this morning. I'm going to begin by asking you the question, what is the most life-altering question you've ever had to answer? What's the most life-altering question that you've ever had to answer? Perhaps it was to accept or reject an offer to a particular school that was going to relocate you and change you and change the direction of your career and your life. Perhaps it was similar to a job offer. You know, there's potential, but it would mean lots of changes to yourself and to your family. Perhaps it was a marriage proposal. Perhaps it was even a medical question to accept or deny treatment. For a lot of you, you've had to make choices on even decisions of life support for relatives. What is the most life-altering question you've ever had to answer? Now, how you answer those questions affects your life in a lot of ways. Your health, your finances, your relationships, where you live, what you do, and so much more. But friends, there's a question that every single one of us needs to answer that has implications far more profound than any of those things I just mentioned, even the medical or job questions, because it affects eternity. So just to begin this morning with a simple question, am I experiencing life in Jesus? Am I experiencing life in Jesus? Now, I did not ask if at some point it sold out or some point in vacation Bible school as a kid, you had some emotionally high moment. I'm not asking if you did the rituals of walking down an aisle, shaking a pastor's hands, getting baptized. I didn't even ask if you're serving hard in the church. My question is, are you today experiencing life in Christ? Are you this past week experiencing life in Christ? Regardless of the circumstances, regardless if it was a mountaintop week or a valley week, an easy week or a hard week, have you been experiencing life in Christ? Because friends, if you and I are followers of Christ, then we should. Life in Christ should be the normal Christian life for us. Jesus came, he died, he rose again, not just so we get a get-out-of-hell-free card, but he came so that we would have life in Christ this day and every day and every day to come. So the question, am I experiencing life in Jesus, I think is a fitting question for us today. First of all, because we're going to celebrate communion in just a little while. And communion is a serious observance for us in the life of the church. So we reflect on Christ's sacrifice for our sins. And again, Christ died and rose again, not just so we don't go to hell. He died and rose again so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. And so as we come to communion today, it's a fitting question to reflect on before we celebrate and observe communion. Am I experiencing life in Christ? But it's also a fitting question, I think, to ask because today is our last sermon in the Gospel of John. We have made it through after 58 weeks of going through the Gospel of John. We actually did three passages twice for special occasions. We spent 61 weeks in the Gospel of John, and today's our last one. And as we come to the end of the Gospel of John for this study, I think this is a question that we should ask ourselves as we look at the whole big picture of the book. Am I experiencing life in Christ? In fact, I think it's a question that John wants us to see as he concludes his letter. So today we're actually going to look at two short passages because there's two conclusions in the Gospel of John. If you think back to way back to 61 sermons ago, when we did the very beginning of the, how John was structured, if you remember John had an introduction then he had the bulk of the book as his body of thought, his main argument. And he puts a conclusion into that, to the end of chapter 20. Then chapter 21 that we saw last week was the epilogue, the conclusion. So there's a conclusion to the main, the main argument in the book. Then there's a conclusion to the conclusion. And so we're going to look at both conclusions today. The conclusion to the main thought and the conclusion to the conclusion. So we're going to look at the last few verses of both chapter 20 and of chapter 21. So turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 20. Can I ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the Word of God? <coughs> Excuse me. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. The words will be on the screen. We're going to start in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, 
which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now turn to chapter 21, verse 20, to the end of the chapter. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. And Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. And who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we come to the end of the study of the Gospel of John, Lord, we are just so thankful that these words were written and recorded for us. But God, in your kindness to us, you have given us the words of life, the words of Christ himself. And God, as we come to the end of the study this morning, I pray we would treasure these words. And God, that you would help us once again see what I believe this whole book has been about. Is experiencing eternal life in you, not just in the future, but today, right here, right now. So Holy Spirit, would you come, would you move in my heart and move in the heart of these precious brothers and sisters to give us understanding, illumination to the text and application to our lives that only you can. Because Lord, you know we're all at different places. Some of us have had mountaintop weeks, some of us have had valley weeks. Some of us have had lots of trials and challenges, some have had a fairly easy week. God, regardless of where we are, regardless of what we're struggling with, God, you know where we are. And so we ask Holy Spirit, you would come and you would just breathe life in this text and apply it to each one of our lives. As only you can, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So again, back to the question, am I experiencing life in Jesus? Friends, it's a question that we need to ask. I need to ask myself that. You need to ask yourself, because if we're not careful, friends, we can lose sight of that question. In fact, in today's text, we see someone lose sight of that question very quickly, and that is the Apostle Peter. Now, to remind us of where we were last week as we were wrapping up chapter 21, remember what happened last week when Jesus sees Peter... They come to shore, and Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And last week we saw that God disciplines those he loves. This was a discipline or rebuke of Peter. But in this we see a commissioning of Peter. Remember, Jesus says to him, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Jesus says to him twice in that text, follow me, follow me. So we had this amazing text last week where Peter's encountering the resurrected Christ. And the resurrected Christ is telling Peter, follow me, follow me, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. I mean, how much more exciting can it get for Peter? He's been restored, he's been forgiven of his sins, restored to apostolic ministry, given a commission of what to do, and reminded by Jesus, come, follow me. He's had a mountaintop experience with Christ. And 60 seconds later, Peter's lost sight of it, just like you and I often do. Look back in chapter 21, verses 20 and 21. Again, remember, this happens right after Jesus commissions him and says to Peter, follow me. Next thing that happens, verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had leaned back against him during the supper and had said to Jesus, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? He's talking about John. Now, what happens, verse 21? When Peter saw him, John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What's Peter doing here? Jesus has just focused in, honed in on Peter's sin, honed in on Peter's commission, and his love sent Peter out. And what does Peter do? He's like, okay, enough about me, Jesus. I know what's going to happen to me. I know I've got to suffer, and I'm going to feed your sheep. Now, you tell me what's going to happen in John's life next. Is he going to have to suffer like I'm going to have to suffer? What about him? Is he going to have work to do also? What's going on with him? 
And friends, isn't that human nature? It is so much easier for us to wonder about other people's lives than it is for us to follow Christ ourselves. It is so much easier for us to want to be in the know about everyone else than it is to follow Jesus. It's so much easier for us to want to even control what happens to other people than it is to follow Jesus ourselves. Friends, if we're not convinced about that, just look at how we try to persuade one another that our family approach and our parenting style and my devotional life is the best way to do it. We want everyone else to conform to what's happening to us, but if we don't believe even that, look at how we use social media. I'm not anti-social media. I use social media, but friends, there's a legitimate way to use it to bless others and pray for others and encourage others. But do we use social media in our culture because we want to follow Christ and shepherd other people? Do we use it because, like Peter, we want to be in the know of everyone else's lives? We want to even be in control of what's happening to them out of this curiosity. And I think we, like Peter, can lose sight of the commission that Jesus gives us to follow him. And Jesus, in his love, rebukes Peter. Once again, look at verse 22. Jesus said to him, to Peter, If it is my will that he, John, remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, he's not saying that John's not going to die. The next verse makes that clear. But what he's doing, he's rebuking Peter. He's saying, Peter, in the judgment seat, you are not going to give an account for what happens to John. In the judgment seat, you're not going to give an account for being in the know of what happens to John or for controlling what happens to John or for what he does. Friends, when you and I stand in the judgment seat, we're not going to give an account for what happens in our 2,000 Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram followers' lives. We're going to give an account for what we have done for following Christ, just like Peter would in that. And we're giving an account for did we seek the means of grace that God has given us to follow him. As we've said week after week, we can't follow Christ in our own strength. This is not, I'm just going to strive harder, like I mentioned last week. It's not white-knuckle determination. I'm just going to dig in and try harder for God. This is, am I, by God's grace, relying on that grace so that I might seek him and live for him? Not that I don't care about other people. I do care about them, but I'm not trying to be curious about them. I'm trying to focus on my heart before the Lord and not turn away from that to try to control or influence them. I want to be found faithful myself. How does God give us grace to do that? There's so many things we've seen in John, but one of the main instruments of grace God gives us that we'll be accountable for is this right here, the Word of God. And what we've done with that in seeking grace to follow Him. Look at verse 24, the very next verse. I don't think it's any coincidence that follows this encounter. This is a disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Friends, we have an accurate record of everything God wants us to know. Eyewitnesses record this in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Nothing in this book has ever once been disproven. This is God's actual history revealed for us. And friends, we can have confidence in it. Just like John writes here, we know that his testimony is true. But friends, that reality comes with a very high accountability as well. This is true for us. It's a means of grace God has given us that we might follow him. So the question is, am I believing it? Am I trusting it? Or perhaps even more fundamentally, am I even reading it? Friends, am I more curious in my heart about what's happening in all my friends' lives? Or am I more concerned about God's revelation in Scripture and that I might follow it as well? Friends, let me preface what I'm about to say because I'm not anti-social media on this. But I once heard one of my favorite authors say this. is that one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook is going to be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. Did you get that? One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. 
And friends, if we could expand that out, not just to prayerlessness, I want to take his idea and apply it to God's grace gift of scripture that he gives us to follow him. I think one of the great uses of social media will be at the judgment day, because it'll show it wasn't a lack of time that we didn't pray. It wasn't a lack of time that we didn't read God's word. But I think like Peter, we take the path of least resistance. It hurts to start looking at our own heart. It hurts to start asking, am I following God as he's called me to follow him today? And it's a lot easier to start scrolling through with curiosity about what's happening in everyone else's life than it is to dig into my own heart and say, God, am I following you? So back to that opening question. It's so easy for Peter to lose sight of and us to lose sight of. Am I experiencing life in Jesus? Friends, I ask the question that way because if we ask the question, do you believe in Jesus? Almost every one of us in the room would say, sure, of course I do. I didn't ask the question, have you prayed a prayer to receive Jesus? Because most of us in the room would say, sure, I, I've done that. But I'm asking a question this way because I think it forces us back to what following Christ looks like. And that's not so much external as is what God has done for us that creates change. And let's go back to chapter 20 because this is the way I think John describes belief. As he comes to the end of his main argument in the book in chapter 20, I want you to notice the way he describes belief for us here. And notice he describes what we're being called to here. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It says these are written. Friends, that's not how I would phrase it. If I was writing, I'd say these were written for you. That's past tense. These are written. It's the perfect tense. It means something has been done with ongoing, permanent, unchanging results. These words were written and are recorded still for us today, thousands of years later, because they still have the same trustworthiness they had back then. They still have the same effect they had back then. Friend, these words that have been written for us will either harden our hearts or will melt our hearts in the presence of God. There's no standing still with this. Remember back some weeks ago as we worked through John, I said the same sun that melts wax hardens clay? That image still holds true, just as it did for John's original readers and it does for us today. When you hear the words of the Gospel of John or any of the words of Scripture, it will either harden your heart more, or to begin to melt your heart in the presence of God. And the reason we've been working through the Gospel of John, the reason John wrote it, my prayers we've been working through this, is John's desire is that our hearts would melt in the presence of God. That we would experience God and that hardness would break apart and life would come into our hearts that we might believe. Again, listen to verse 31 again. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Friends, the point of this book then and now, the point of gateway going through this book is that we might believe and continue to believe. Now, what does it mean to believe? We've seen throughout the Gospel of John many things about this. There's two things I want us as we wrap up the stage to remember about belief. Number one, belief has an object. This is not some vague belief, some just hoping in something, some getting out of bed, thinking positive thoughts. This is believing not just in something, but in someone here. And notice what it said, verse 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He's the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one that the whole Old Testament has pointed to. He's the Son of God, God himself, second person in the Trinity, come in human flesh that we celebrate at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. He lived a perfect life, fulfilling all the law that you and I could not fulfill. He went to the cross as an innocent sacrifice, taking the holy wrath of God that should have been poured out on you and me. He took willingly in our place, but he did not stay dead. He rose on the third day, conquering death so that we might have life as well, and he is living today. This is the Son of God, fully God, fully man. We're to believe in, not just about him, but to believe in him. And friends, my concern, though, is 
so often in our culture, we stop there. We focus on belief in Christ and we stop there and we don't ever push to the next thing that John pushes to in this verse. And that's the second part of what belief entails. You can look back at verse 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God. There's no period there. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the second thing I want to remind us of as we wrap up the Gospel of John study is that true belief will always change us. True belief will always, it will certainly change us, friends. We've used the phrase by design, radical transformation. You're probably tired of hearing me say that, but over the last 61 weeks, you've heard me say over and over again that if we believe we have a radical transformation, a metamorphosis of think of a caterpillar going to a butterfly, it's radical, it's a big change. Friends, if we really believe there will be a big change in our lives, not just that I go from being a little bit down on myself to feeling a little bit better about myself, but there will be a major transformation if I really am in Christ. And what is the major transformation? Well, John summarizes it here at the end of verse 31, that by believing you may have life in his name. The major transformation is that we have life in Christ. Hence, back to my question, am I experiencing life in Jesus? Now, before we look at what that means, there's a sobering implication to this that we've seen throughout the gospel of John as well. If I need the words of Christ to give me life, what does that make us apart from Christ? What does it make us? One more time, what does it make us? There you go. It makes us dead. Apart from Christ, we are dead. We've already seen this in John. In fact, we'll put it on the screen for you. John chapter 5, verse 24, just to remind us of something we saw early on. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come to judgment, but has passed from what? Death to what? Life. Passed from death to life. Friends, we all start off dead. And this is so important because I think in our culture, a lot of times we treat Christianity like the message that I'm sick. I need Jesus to make me better. That's not what the Gospel of John's been showing us for these last 61 weeks. The message of the Gospel of John is I am dead. I am helpless. I am separated from God. I'm alienated. I have no hope of getting to God unless God does something for me. I am dead in my sin. Just like a person who's dead in the hospital can't be laying there dead on the hospital bed and be like, man, I'm tired of being dead. I'm going to choose life right now. It takes someone coming to them and shocking them back and doing medical intervention or some type of miracle to come back. Friends, the image of John in all scriptures, I am dead in my sins, and unless God breathes into me, I have no hope of life. But when God does breathe on me and change me of this, I get life in his name. Life is a key theme that we've seen throughout John. In fact, John has talked about life 36 times in this book. What does it mean to have life in his name? I think this is important as we wrap up our study. What is life in John? Two things. One is eternal. Over and over throughout the Gospel of John, he describes life in terms of eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. In fact, go back to John chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, some of our favorite texts from John's Gospel. And this is Jesus speaking. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have what type of life? Eternal life. And then verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. So when John talks about life, life in his name is eternal. We've seen this in John chapter 10 as well. In John chapter 10, verse 28 for us. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You see the word never there. This is forever, ongoing for eternity. No end to it. And that is so true. This life Jesus offers us is forever. Not just in the future, but today, right now, the rest of our earthly lives, and throughout all eternity. It is eternal on that. But again, friends, so often we stop there. We think of eternal life as just a quantity of time. 
when eternal life is a quality of life as well. So when John talks about life, he talks about in terms of being eternal. But the second thing John describes it as is abundant. When he talks about what the normal Christian life is like, is abundant life, eternal, abundant life. Look at John chapter 10, verse 10 for us as well. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it, what? Abundantly. Jesus' plan is for a fullness of life in him, knowing him. He explains what this means for us in John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life. Oh, great. Here's our definition we've been looking for. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, friends, if we really believe what is our life to be like, it's a life that will be marked now and forever. Not just a week from now and 10 years from now or 20 years from now, as true as it is, but a life marked today and hundreds of trillions of years from now. It would be a life marked by the abundance of God's presence with us. The abundance of God's presence with us, his hope with us, his peace with us, his purpose in our lives, his love. And why is that possible? How can eternal life really be that we have this today and every day? Well, one of my favorite verses in all of John is John chapter 1, verse 16. It tells us how this can be true for us. And from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Friends, how can we have a life today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, and 100 trillion years from now still marked by God's presence, by God's hope, by God's peace, by God's purpose, by God's love, and abundance of those things? It's because those things are just an overflow of God himself. It's his grace pointing that out in us. And I love this, this idea of grace upon grace washing over us as God's presence is in our lives. From his fullness, from who he is, we get these things. And I think that's what John is saying for us in John chapter 20, verse 31. These are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, have eternal life forever, but starting today, have abundant life in his presence, starting today and lasting forever in his name. And friends, let me just remind you what we've seen already. Name represents everything about a person. When he's in the name of Christ, that's representing the fullness of who Christ is. Again, from chapter 1, verse 16, from his fullness, from his name, from all that he represents. And think just for a minute, all the names of Jesus we've seen over the last 61 weeks in this gospel. All the names of Jesus. Think about it. Our words fall, fall far short of being able to describe who he is. So we have all these names, all these images to describe for us who Christ is. I mean, think for just a minute. Chapter 1, Jesus was called the Word. He's the creator. He's the true light. He's the Lamb of God. He's the King of Israel. In chapter 3, he's called the Son of Man, the one who's been prophesied for years and years and years that he was the one who would come and rescue his people. He's the, chapter 4, the living water who will satisfy his people. In chapter 6, he's the bread of life. In chapter 7, he's simply called the Christ. In chapter 8, he's called the light of the world. He's also called the great I am. In chapter 10, he's the good shepherd. He's the door of the sheep. He's one with the Father. In chapter 11, he's the resurrection and the life. In chapter 14, he's the way, the truth, and the life. In chapter 15, he's the true vine. In chapter 18, he's the true king. In chapter 19, he's the crucified one. In chapter 20, he's the risen one. In chapter 21, he's the Lord. And friends, that's just the start of the names and descriptions of Christ in this book. From his name, from all that his character represents, from all those things I just read, from that grace upon grace come to us to experience life in him. So friends, back to my question, am, am I experiencing life in Jesus? What am I meaning by that? That means today and this past week, am I experiencing Jesus as the word? The one who I know created me and created all around me. Am I experiencing this week Jesus as the light who has lightened up my own life, my own heart, but lightened up the path before me? Have I experienced this week 
Jesus as the Lamb of God, knowing for certain that my sins are taken away, that he has paid the penalty I deserve. Having experienced him this week as the King of Israel and the King of me, who is ruling over me and directing my life. Having experienced him to be the living water, when I was not just physically thirsty, but spiritually thirsty. Have I found Christ to be the one who has satisfied my spiritual thirst this week? Have I experienced him to be the bread of life this week where he satisfied my spiritual hunger and I've hungered to know my creator and he has satisfied me in his presence? Have I experienced him to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord of my life? Have I experienced him to be the great I am to when I came in his presence, I fall flat on my face because he is so amazing and so worthy? Have I experienced him this week as my light to guide my steps? Have I experienced him this week as a shepherd who disciplines me when I sin? The shepherd who guards and protects me from the schemes of the enemy? Have I seen him this week as the resurrection, knowing that I can be resurrected? Have I experienced him this week as the way, the truth, and the life? My only hope of direction, my only hope of eternal, eternal life. Have I experienced him this week as the true vine, the only thing that I know can sustain me and anchor me in all the trials of life? Have I experienced him this week as the true king, the one who I know is the only one I will follow, the only one to whom I will give an account? Have I experienced him this week as the crucified one, thinking on the fact that he hung on the cross, taking the wrath I deserve? Have I experienced him this week as the risen one who conquered death and has given me hope for my own eternal future as well? Have I experienced him as the Lord? Friends, when I talk about have I experienced Christ this week, that's what I think the Gospel of John is causing us to ask. And friends, to experience those things I just mentioned, there is no other way to experience those things apart from Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6 is so clear for us, and we need to be reminded of this as we wrap up our study. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Not a way, but the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, the only way we can have eternal life, the only way we can experience God being our light, our lamb, our water, our bread, our Christ, our shepherd, all these things, our vine, our king, the only way we can experience that is by coming to faith in Christ. And so, friends, as we come to the end of the Gospel of John, I think there's a question we need to ask, and that is fundamentally, have you, have I come to Christ as the only way? Have you and I come to a place in our lives where we know Christ to be the way the truth, and the life, and to know that no way could we ever approach God apart from faith in Christ. Friends, if we have not, there's no better time than now to do that. But friends, if we would say, yes, of course I have done that, of course, yes, I believe that, then the question becomes for us, am I experiencing life in Christ? Because that is what the fruit, the evidence of really knowing him. Friends, one of my grave concerns for the state of the church across the world today is there's so many who say, yeah, I believe in God, I'm a Christian. But there's no delight in the presence of God. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. But there's no desire for God's presence. There's no sense of this full life. The things I just read through of all the names of Christ and what that looks like in our daily life, there is no sense of that experience in their daily lives. When they're at school, at work, driving down the road, there's no sense of those things. There's no evidence of God's abundant work of transformation. And friends, can I suggest, as I've suggested before, if there's no joy in God's presence now, no delight in his presence, no desire to go deeper with him, then we probably are deceiving ourselves if we really think we're in Christ. What confidence do we have that we're going to really go to heaven if we have no desire for him at this point? Jesus has said, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. In John 20, 31 again, one last time, these are written so that you, for you and me today, these words are just as true now as they were when it was written. These are written so that you and I may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life, eternal life today, abundant life today, in his name, in the fullness of who he is, as his grace is poured out in us from his own 
fullness. So with that in view, before we come to a time of communion and reflect this, I'm going to ask Ira to come play for just a minute, because I want you to have a minute to think about this question before we come to communion. Have I really experienced life in Jesus? Did not have I prayed prayers, have I been baptized, have I served in the church, but have I today, this week, experienced life in Christ? If my spouse, if my friends, if my classmates, if my co-workers, if my neighbors were to look into my life, do they see in my life the fruit, the evidence of a life that is marked by a radical transformation from Christ? Friends, if so, just take the next minute or two and thank God for it. Because if you have an experience of eternal, abundant life in Christ, like I said before, it's not because you're smarter, holier, better than other people. It's because God in his kindness poured out his grace upon grace from his fullness into your life. And so as we reflect and pray for some minute, I want you, if you're one who says, yeah, Grady, I have experienced life in Christ, eternal abundant life in Christ, and I can't wait for more of it. I pray you use this time to thank God for it, to thank God for his grace that has brought you to that point and to ask God for more of it. If you've tasted and seen that God is good, ask him to increase your appetite even more for it. Because if you're at a place where you go, you know, I've maybe done some externals, I've done some stuff, but I've never really experienced true, full life in Christ. Why don't you talk to the Lord about it right now? So as I replace, I'm going to take a minute and just reflect on that question. Am I experiencing life in Christ? Father God, we are so thankful for your grace upon grace upon grace that you give to us. What I'm thankful is I spend time with these brothers and sisters, Lord, to see so much evidence of your grace in their lives, so much evidence of your transforming work, your radical transformation. I'm just thankful that you've been at work in all of our lives, Lord, who know you. And God, I pray for brothers and sisters in Christ in this room that today, God, you would encourage them in your grace. God, that they would be reminded of your grace upon grace that has crashed over them. And God, that they would just give thanks to you and worship you. And even as we come to celebrate communion, God, it would be a worshipful time as we remember the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus made so that we might have eternal, abundant life today and forever in your name.
And what I do pray, if there's anyone in this room who has not been trusting in the gospel of Christ, but been trusting in externals, trusting in things they have done, trusting in good works, trusting in prayers they've prayed, or church membership, or ways they're serving, or who they're giving to, or any of those type things, that God, today, in your grace, you would let them see how insufficient all of our human efforts are to reach you. And today, they might experience grace, your kindness to them. And they might today move from just doing religious things to experiencing abundant, eternal life in your name. That you might fill them with your presence, your purpose, your joy, and your hope. And God will give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.